question was asked, you used today's session, Baruch Hashem, to answer it. Why aren't there elections for the God Ladon? It's an unusual question, but I understand where it's coming from. People are used to a democratic system where the public, the majority decides any position of importance. And if that's the case, if there's a certain leadership position of being the God Ladon, of being the one who makes the decisions on behalf of Kal Yisrael, so why isn't there a process, something similar, that people can decide? So maybe the question is a mistake, but let's explain. And to do that, I want to start with the question on the Pasha. This last week we read Pasha's Vayishlach. And at the end of the Pasha, the Torah describes in great detail the family of Asaph. Who his wives were, who his children were, who his grandchildren were. And even though most of us aren't really that interested in Esau's genealogy, but nevertheless we understand that the Torah has a reason to tell us the names of all the sons and grandsons of Esau. But when we start to have a question, is after having told us the whole family of Esau, the Pasuk now goes back and says, and these were the Alufim, these were the chieftains of Esau. And then it goes and it mentions every single one of his descendants by name. If one of his wives had descendants of Shammah or Mizah and Zerach, then there's out of Shammah and out of Mizah and out of Zerach, and from the other wife it was uh, Amalek or the children of Eliphaz, and they're also all Alufim. Why is the Torah need to tell us that every single descendant of Esau became an Aluf? He became a chief, he became a minister, a leader. And we, if we look at it, we think that Esau had an unbelievably successful family. Every single one of his descendants rose to prominence. Every single one of his grandsons was a leader, was a chief. We don't find Baklai Yisrael such a thing. There's never a pastor which talks about Aluf Ruvain, Aluf Shimon, Aluf Levi. But when it comes to the descendants of Esau, and then after the descendants of Sarah Khairi, everybody's an Aluf. Everybody's a chief. Everybody's a leader. Unless we start to think that Esau was the super successful family, so when you look in the Haftarah, the prophecy of the Prophet of Adyam, where Hashem is addressing Esau, and Hashem says to Esau, I made you the smallest of the nations. You are exceedingly bozi. You have no honor. You have no value. Something which is despised. And we think, are we talking about the same person? The same Esav, who was the, so to speak, patriarch of so many alufim, so many leaders, so many chiefs, and he's considered so small, he's considered insignificant? What's the Torah trying to tell us? So, let's look at a story which is brought down in the Tanad Valio. It says that one time, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, the great Amora, who frequently spoke to and met Eliyahu Anavi. He says to him, Eliyahu, I know that every day you sent on missions from Hashem. Eliyahu wanders around the world, fulfilling what jobs Hashem gives him to do. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, Eliyahu, may I accompany you? I also want to see how you do things. I also want to see how you work. Can I, can I join you on your travels? 
And if you have a response to him, you can join me as long as you don't ask any questions. Accept that what I'm doing is what Hashem told me to do and don't question why I'm doing it. Rabbi Shir agrees to the condition and they ventured forth together. And the time Veliyahu tells us they came to a place where the people were all doing the right thing. And when they saw two guests who arrived, they went out their way to accommodate them, to make them comfortable. And uh, Eliyahu notices what happens in the town that they're in and he sees the people who are listening to the Lacha. And therefore when Eliyahu leaves, he gives them a bracha. He says, I give you a bracha that there should only be one leader in this town. And at the latest stage in their journey, they came across another town. And this time a town where there was machlekes, a town where everybody was arguing with each other. A town where they weren't doing the right thing. A town where they didn't regard the guests and no one looked after them. They slept in the bench at the back of the shul. And when they happened to leave the town the next day, Saliyahu says, I give this place a bracha that they should all be leaders. And Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi can't contain himself. And he says, Eliyahu explained to me, I don't understand. Why is it when we came to the first town, the town where everybody acted so well, and you blessed them they should only have one person among their ranks who were a leader. Whereas when we came to this town, which acted so badly, you blessed them they should all be leaders. Where's the fairness? What's the reason? And then Eliyahu says to him, I thought we had an agreement, you're not going to ask me any questions. But if you want to know, I'll explain to you, but then we're going to part company. And before we get to what Eliyahu's explanation is, let's understand something together. And that is, what makes somebody a leader? The ideal leader is somebody who's looked up to. Somebody who other people respect as being so much greater than they that of course, naturally, they're going to follow his opinion. Naturally going to take his advice. They're going to be subservient to his lead. And there won't, there's not going to be any rebellion within the ranks, so to speak, because it's understood. The leader's on a different level. Whereas in a place where everybody considers himself to be as great as the leader, Everybody considers himself, his own opinion, to be as worthwhile or as correct as that of whoever's considered the person in charge. So then there's always going to be disagreements. Why is he right more than me? Why is his opinion more important than mine? Why should he decide if I can decide? And therefore, in a place like that, when there's no respect for the leader, there isn't going to be one leader. There are going to be many leaders. There are going to be many leaders because there's nobody who's considered greater than everyone else who people are going to follow, who people are going to accept their opinion of, who people are going to take direction from. And therefore, the sign of a great place, or the sign of a great person, is that he's a leader whichever, who everybody else accepts and respects. And the sign of a place where there is no one great, a place where there is no natural leader is that everybody considers themselves to be a leader. And this can go, we can go back and understand what Leo and Avi said. He said the biggest bracha for a place is that you have one leader. One leader means one person who is accepted by everybody. 
as being the Das Torah, as being the one who's on a higher level than us and we're going to learn from, we're going to take direction from. Whereas in a place where everybody's a leader, it means there's nobody who's really great. And that's the explanation of Esav as well. The explanation of Esav is that his You are small, you are insignificant. You have no value. You have nothing to respect about you. And the symbol of that is that every single one of your descendants considers himself a leader. There's nothing that they look up to you for Esau, that they're going to consider you a leader and themselves your followers. There's absolutely nothing to respect that each one considers himself as valuable as you. Each one is going to promote himself as a leader in his own right. It's not a sign of greatness for the two many leaders. It's a sign that there is no real leader. What do they have to respect Esau for? That he enjoyed soup? I'm sure many, other, many of them enjoyed soup as well. Whereas when it came to the sons of Yaakov, so none of the Shvatim are going to promote themselves as a leader. We have Yaakov Avinu. We have true greatness. We have somebody we all respect and look up to. Who's going to try and offer a dissenting opinion? And that's why the Apostle says, when Esau took his family and they left to stay, he took Kol Nafshay Spesai. There were only seven of them. The Torah calls him Nafshis in the plural. Because each one had to take up his own mind. Each member felt that I have to decide for myself if I want to go to Sayer. And therefore, the move to Sayer necessitated seven opinions. Whereas in a few weeks' time, we're going to learn about Yaakov and his family going down to Mitzrayim. There were ten times the amount of people. Yaakov went with seventy people. But it says, it's Kola Nefesh. It says in the singular. Because there was only one decision made. And that was the decision of Yaakov. When Yaakov decided we're going down to Mitzrayim, all his children and grandchildren accepted that. They packed their bags and they followed. Yaakov has decided. It's one nefesh. Because when there's greatness, there's a leader. When there's a, a lack of leadership, it's because there's a lack of greatness. And that's expressed by everybody wanting to be a leader on their own. That's the background. Now let's address the question. You know that in Eretz Israel, in Israel, when they have elections, so it's a day of work. A stand since the people can go and vote, but it's an occasion to take a day of work. There's an organization which tries to promote learning Torah between working people, and any time there's officially a day which isn't a day for work, so they capitalize on the opportunity to make it a day that they can send people to give shirim, and people will spend their free day learning, not just wasting time. I have a friend, his name is Rabbi Yaakov, he works for this organization. And one of the times in the recent elections in Israel, so there was this organization organized in the city of Tzvas, that because the election day was a day of work, so they would organize shirim, and they sent this Rabbi Yaakov to Tzvas to give a shir. He told me that he was waiting outside where people were gathering before the shir and he overheard them talking to each other. So one of the people that turns to his friend and he says, Chaim, tell me something. Did you vote today? So Chaim said, yes, I did. He says, Chaim, can you tell me who you voted for? So Chaim thinks about it for a second. He says, I'll tell you. I went to the, the polling station 
I saw the names of all the candidates there. I looked at one of them and I thought, well, these guys should be the Prime Minister. And you know what I did? I took a piece of paper and I wrote my own, my own name on it instead. And it's friends with Chaim, I don't believe it. I did exactly the same thing. Now, that might be how elections work in Tzvass, I don't know. But uh, it brings out a point. And that is, if I have to, who am I going to accept as a leader? has to be somebody I consider great enough that I'm going to listen to them. And if I don't see any candidate as being any greater than anybody else, I don't see any mailer in a person, so why would I choose them to be my leader? What about them demands my respect, my cooperation? But there's another point too. Besides the fact that when it comes to elections, most people aren't voting based on who they think a real leader is. Most people are voting based on who they think is going to give them more of what they want. And therefore, if my candidate promises me whatever I want to get, so I'm going to vote for that candidate because it's really self-voting. I'm voting for it in my own best interests. And if that's the case, so it's ridiculous. What would, be, what would an election between Gedolim be? Who's offering the biggest brachas? Who's going to have the most kavana? It doesn't start. But even without that, the concept of a democratic election means that I can weigh up the options and I can decide who's better. Think about it. That means there's no one that's considered great enough that I don't feel qualified to be able to pass judgment on and decide that I can't decide who's better. No, it makes me the judge of everybody's strengths and weaknesses, makes me the judge of character, makes me the one to decide this is the more worthy candidate. So obviously it puts me in a position where I surpass all the options because I'm the one deciding who's, who's really worthwhile, if any of them. Imagine we are to decide an election for the God Lador. And we're now going to decide who deserves to be the God Lador. Should it be Rav Moshe Feinstein or should it be the Chazanesh? Should it be the Briskarov or should it be Rav Aaron Kotlin? Should it be Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach or should it be Rav Yashif? Do we understand well enough the level any of them are on that we can now decide he deserves or he deserves or who's the greater party? We can't. It's nothing to do with us. We, they're, they're all greater than us. They're all greater than us. We respect all of them. We definitely aren't going to be the ones to choose who's more worthy. And that's the basic point. Jewish leadership isn't because we decide who we want to lead us. Jewish leadership comes naturally. When we see greatness, when we see greatness, which is beyond our own level, naturally we're going to accept. This is somebody who's a bigger tzaddik. This is somebody who knows so much more Torah. This is somebody who's on so much a higher level. Of course we're going to accept guidance from them. And that works within every level. It works in every level. Even the, the people who lead the Zivkayesha on their own right naturally respect a person who's greater than they. And therefore, the system of Jewish leadership is the system of we Israel respect somebody they see as being great. And they'll naturally ask his advice. And they'll naturally accept his opinion. When Rav Chaim Kanievsky was alive, there was no need for an election. Anybody who knew anything from Torah realized 
how much superior of Chaim's knowledge was. Anybody consider themselves somebody who was an Amel Batayra admitted how far superior of Chaim's Hasmada, his dedication to Torah was. And therefore, if there's going to be a question of what should we do, and there's someone like Rav Chaim to ask advice from, who's going to think differently? It's understood. He's so much greater. He knows so much more. He'll be worthy of so much more. That makes a leader. Not a leader that people make. A leader that people can appoint is somebody who's limited by how people understand or what people want. A real leader is somebody who people naturally accept because automatically they see his advantage, they see his greatness, they see his superiority. And in the presence of true leadership, so then everybody else humbles themselves and accepts that. A of sign of weakness was that everybody was nullified. I would even venture to suggest that that's perhaps why the Torah has to go back on all the Psukim of Esau's descendants and tell us each one was Naluf. Each one was a chief. Each one was a leader in his own right. Which means none of them deserved to be leaders. Every single one was a person who had whatever power he had because he wasn't going to accept anybody else's authority and nobody else was prepared to accept his. Let's take this a step further. Who were their leaders over? All these chiefs. Rashi says they were Rashi Mishpachis. Rashi says they were chiefs of their own houses, of their own families. This wasn't any major position of importance over countries or over big populations. It was rather each little family clan was its own unit. Each one had its own chief and nobody accepted from anything else. This has always been the middle of Asa. The Gemara says in the Gila about a place called Germam Yeshel Edom. It's, a, so to speak, a constellation of city-states from, from the descendants of Edom. And the Gemara says, those who say, the Yavit says that Germam Yeshel Edom is referring to Germany. But wherever this place of Germam Yeshel is, the Gemara says in the Gila that they have hundreds of little chiefs, tribes, whatever you're going to call it, and they're always busy fighting with each other. And the Gemara said that's a good thing. Because if they ever find one leader, so then they would fight the Jewish people instead. If it is talking about Germany, so then it's very, very correct historically. Because you know, until the 1870s, Germany wasn't a unified country like uh, France was or England was. It was all little city-states. Each one of its own elector, its own, its own governor, whatever you're going to call them, no one would accept from anybody else. There was no unified Germany. When there became a unified Germany, as we know, it became a source of tremendous danger for and eventually destruction for Klai Yisrael. But why this army of these little states? Why is each little town, each elect, each province, an independent entity? It comes from the same point. They're all Alofim. Because they're no leaders. Because they're no leaders. There's no one great enough or powerful enough that everybody else accepts authority from. And because of that, each one says in his own right, I'm going to be the one in charge. I'm going to be the leader. And the result, the result isn't greatness. The result is exactly the opposite. It just demonstrates how lowly, how insignificant, how unworthy each of them is. Like the Pasuk says, you all are love him, Asaph. 
but you bazui ma'ait. There's nothing respectable about you. There's nothing to look after. A system of dem- democracy is based on the fact that there are no natural leaders. It's based on the fact that everybody is equal, and therefore it's just a question of who can convince more people why it would be better for them to choose this candidate. If anybody was naturally superior, if anybody was naturally so much better, so then it would be a foregone conclusion. It would be an uncontested election. The whole idea comes from the fact that there's nobody really better. And therefore, it's just a question of between the options, where am I going to achieve more? I'll just finish the story I saw in the Sefer of Yaakov Galinsky. He said that he was close to a certain, close to, he knew, a certain member of the Labour Party back in the day when that was still a political force in Eretz Israel. On a certain election where there was a hung parliament, in other words, the Labour Party received about 40% of the vote and the right wing received about 40% of the vote and as always, the religious parties received uh, 5%, 10%, somewhere in the middle. So when this minister saw Rabbi Yaakov Galinsky, he said, don't you see that we're right? Look how many people voted for us. And look how many, a few people voted for you. So isn't that a proof that we're we the ones who are correct? So Rabbi Yaakov said, if it's so straightforward to you that what, what, what people vote for is a simon of what's right, is the proof of who's correct, so then if you claim that you're right, so why didn't everybody vote for you? Why did half the country vote for you and half the country vote for somebody else? So this man asked him, what, you mean we're half right? What does that mean? Either it's right, MS is MS, and Shekhar is Shekhar. Truth is truth, and falsehood is falsehood. So Jacob Stein explained to you. He said, you got up and you campaigned about how the right wing are all liars, and they're all thieves, and they're going to destroy the country, and they have no values. And the right wing got up, and they said about you, that you're all thieves, and you're all uh, going over, and you're going to destroy the country. And the truth is, you're both right. They don't deserve to run the country, and you don't deserve to run the country. So half the people believed them what they said is true, and half the people believed you what you said is also true. And even though obviously it was a cutting remark to a challenge, but the principle is correct. And that is, democracy doesn't prove who's right. It just proves who's more popular. It's not the same thing. Popularity goes by what people want. Greatness goes what people look up to. Even if it's not what I want necessarily, I respect it as being greater than me. Jewish leadership isn't popularity. Jewish leadership is greatness. Because the person who's truly greater is the person that I respect. I accept his opinion. I look up to him for, to, to direct me. And that's not something people can decide. That's something only HaKadosh Baruch decides. And it's something which people are aware of are aware of, they can feel, they can sense, they can appreciate somebody who's truly great. And in fact, it's only in a society where there's nobody who's really great. An Adam society, where we don't find the presidents or the prime ministers have more morals, or on a higher level of spirituality, or are more learned, or more erudite, or have better character traits than anybody else. Then there has to be a different system for choosing a leader. Because if one would rely on the system of natural leadership of whoever is the greatest, Adam doesn't produce that. Everybody would be a leader. They have to come with an alternative called democracy. 
but in a situation where there is greatness and there is the natural respect one looks up to and what one appreciates in the refinement of character, in the godless Torah, in the dedication to MS that Jewish leaders possess, that the leaders of the Torah possess, there's no need for elections. It's uncontested. Naturally, everybody respects. And therefore, there's not a tenure of office. A person could be in the position for five years, for ten years, for twenty years. If he's the greatest person, of course he deserves to be the leader. He's still going to be the greatest person. We're still going to be respecting him. That's true leadership. It's only when there's no real leadership that the world will come with alternatives. Alternatives which might satisfy the point of preventing a nation falling into anarchy and civil war where everybody promotes himself, but it's not something which can ever replace the true leadership of the Torah.